Now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I know we say it a lot, but good morning again. Welcome to Sacred City Church. Uh, my name is Alex Arguello, and as Justin just said, I am not the lead pastor, but I am the other pastor. For those of you that don't know, we have currently two pastors here at Sacred City Church, pastors or elders. Uh, pastor, elder, those are two names that the Bible gives to an office at the church. Those are the ones that are supposed to, to lead the church. And another uh, thing that the Bible says is there's these specific standards for those who would be elders of a church. And one of those standards is that he has to be able to teach the Word of God. So this morning, really, Pastor Justice just wanted to see if I was still qualified to, to be an elder, <laughs> see if I can still do this, because it's been a while since I've been up here, and actually the first time that I've been up here in this new building, so I'm very excited uh, to do that, but don't misunderstand me. My excitement will be expressed a lot differently than what you typically see in this pulpit, how that excitement is expressed. There will be a lot less yelling, a lot less Screaming a lot less hand motions and, and things like that, but I'm uh, excited nonetheless. It is a joy and, and really an absolute honor to even be asked to, to fill a pulpit. Here's what I believe. What comes from the pulpit is the, one of the primary means that God uses to glorify himself and to edify his church, and when that happens, God changes the world. He does that because when God's people sit under faithful preaching of his word, they become changed and then they go out into the world, they go out into their cities and they move the kingdom of God forward by taking the culture captive for Christ. Right, so it's a big deal to fill any pulpit, but especially this one here as it's filled so well every single week by, of course, Pastor Justin, although I don't know, he might be losing it a little bit. I don't know if you've seen last week, he actually had to sit down in the middle of his sermon. <laughs> He might be getting a little lazy, right? <laughs> Not only Pastor Justin, obviously Scott Gaskell now we have, who's been doing a phenomenal job being faithful to the word of God and how he preaches, and just men of the past, right? Pastor Rob, who's, who's moved on from us, there's just been so many men who have faithfully filled this pulpit. A pastor that I'm fond of that lives out in the state of Idaho, he says this, so much of the evil that goes on in our culture is due to pastors forgetting that the pulpit is a combat position. It's not a place to give TED Talks or motivational speeches to make people feel good. It's a throne of the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. So that word of God is to be preached. And I'm sure all of you guys would agree that God has blessed us here at Sacred City with that type of preaching. So again, I'm thankful to be a part of that. 
Today we're in the third week of a series called Advent Songs, and we're looking at old hymns that are commonly sung during this time of year, during Advent and leading up into Christmas Day, and we're studying what are we actually singing with these words, and what, why should we sing hymns like this? The last two weeks we've looked at hymns that were about Christ's second coming, or Advent, so we got to see that during this season, this Advent season, we not only look back to Christ's first coming, but we actually look forward um, to him coming again. And which we learned last week is that because of that, we're to rejoice, rejoice. When he comes back, he's going to defeat the last enemy, which is death, and completely consummate his kingdom, a kingdom that he's already started now. It's a glorious truth that the scriptures reveal to us. This week, with the hymn, Joy to the World, we're switching gears a little bit, and we're focusing on his first coming. Unlike the last couple weeks where we look forward to Christ and what he will do in the future, which again is glorious, This week, we want to look back at what happened when Christ came the first time and what that means in the here and now. This hymn, Joy to the World, is a hymn of praise. It's a call to worship. And it's one that doesn't leave us in the dark about some important questions about worship. Who should worship? Who should we worship? Why should we worship? How should we worship? These are all questions that we get to see some answers to in this hymn in our passage. Hopefully from all of that, we will have an understanding leaving here today that what Christ's coming means, not just for us as individuals or for our families or even for just the church, but for the entire world. What did it mean for the entire world? A world that was very broken in biblical times when Christ did come, a world that has been broken ever since, and of course, a world that is broken even now. It's been mentioned for the past two weeks But a significant part about Advent and Christmas seasons that Christians can't overlook is darkness. Many people want to act like we live in fantasy land and say that there is no darkness in the world so that they can sentimentalize the message of this season or promote some sort of pseudo-cheerfulness. But as Christians, we can't do that. Most of the songs that we sing during this time wouldn't even make sense if there wasn't darkness. The world we live in is broken, but, and this is important to see, and it's the main message of Christmas, that same world has been given the answer to that brokenness. It's been given a light to overcome that darkness. It's been given joy to push back against sorrow and pain, discontentment, sadness, everything that we considered evil in this world. Of course, it's no shocker that that answer and light and joy is Jesus Christ. Although our culture tries to take Christ out of Christmas and make it a season that's just all about jolliness or the holiday spirit or of course the God of consumerism, I think most of us, especially if you're here in a church, I'm gonna assume that you know that Christ is who and why Christians celebrate this time of year. But hopefully you also know that if those who celebrate this time of year are not Christians, then they're stealing our stuff. Christian is our holiday, not the world's. God in his common grace allows people to enjoy family, gifts and music and lights and parties and all the things that happen during Christmas, but none of that would have ever happened if God hadn't put on flesh and dwelt among us. And if Christians of the past wouldn't have put it in a church calendar for us to celebrate. That's a common thing that we've seen happen throughout Western history. 
People who love God start great things and they grow them. But over time, people who hate God take them over. It's happened with universities. It's happened with public education. It's happened with our country. And it's happened with Advent and Christmas as well. This is an important and informative season for the church. But family, the culture is trying to completely take over what should be ours, and they won't stop. If they have stopped from not just Christmas, but everything we know of. And if that happens, all that can happen, all that can result from that is more and more chaos filling the earth. So as Justin mentioned a couple weeks ago, we have to meet them with the same intensity, right? With the same force, with the same passion. The passion that they have for their way of life and for what they worship should be no match for the passion that Christians have for our way of life and for who we worship. Again, our passage and our hymn today speak to that. So let me pray and then we'll look at them together. Father God, we... Thank you for another opportunity to come together this morning uh, on the Lord's Day and worship you with our church family. Lord, we're thankful to be called into worship to confess our sins, to be absolved of those sins, to profess our faith, and to now to sit under the preaching of God's word. Lord, you do marvelous things in and through all of that, so we invite you to do that again today. Lord, we will not get anything from today if it is just me up here speaking. Uh, We need to hear from you. So I pray that you would empower me to speak the word of God faithfully and that you would open up the ears of the people who are listening and they would be changed by what you have for them today. Lord, we also pray for those in our church who are sick. Lord, we pray for Ilo, of course. Lord, first we just praise you and thank you for the healing that you have already brought to Ilo's body, Lord, and we just ask that you would continue to do that. Lord, we pray that you would keep the kingdom away. Lord, we we know that you came as the sovereign one. You're the one that has created all things, and you are in the throne room of heaven right now. That means that everything in the world uh, obeys you. Lord, that's even cancer cells. So we pray that you would um, cast out the darkness in her body, Lord, and keep her completely free, that it would never come back. Lord, we also pray for them as they go into this next uh, stage of her treatment, and they are thinking through what the best Um, way to handle that is, Lord, we just pray for that, that the doctors would um, be sharp, they would know what to do, and that you would um, bless the the treatment um, that that they provide to Isla. Lord, we also just pray for Josh and Kaylee as they are just walking through this tough time. Lord, I'm thankful for how this church has already come around them and loved them so well, and we just pray that you would allow us to continue to do that for them. Lord, we also pray for the BD Covers. We pray for Josh as he is up at Mayo Clinic right now struggling um, with an inflammatory bowel disease. Lord, uh, Lord, I have that same disease. Lord, so I know the, the, the suffering that, that Josh is, is going through. I've had that in the past, Lord, and you have been gracious to me in allowing me to be in remission of that. We pray that you would do the same for my brother, Lord, that you would take him out of the suffering that he is in, that you would be with the doctors at Mayo Clinic and, and, and bring healing through their hands, that they would come up with the right treatment, whether that's medication or surgery. We pray, again, that you would bless whatever it is they do. We pray that you would also be with Kim and the girls, Lord, that they, they've been struggling with the flu, bring health to their bodies as well. Give them safe travel up to Minnesota. Um, allow them to enjoy time um, with their husband and with their father, Lord, as he's struggling during this time. Uh, we also pray for the Danielsons, Lord. We pray that you would continue healing there and that you would be with them during this time of, of grieving, Lord, that you would help them. Um, and again, just continue to use us as a church to love these people who need us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so before we, we actually get to our hymn and our passage, let me give you some background uh, of this hymn. I'm not going to do as good of a job as what Joel does on his podcast, but here we go. Jo- Joy to the World was written in the early 1700s by prolific hymn writer and also pastor Isaac Watts. I don't want to miss this opportunity to share with you that Isaac Watts, considered the father of English hymns and who wrote over 700 of these hymns, was a Calvinist. If you don't know what that is, Pastor Justin loves to answer questions about this, so. <laughs> so he was a Calvinist. He also was for sure an optimist. He had an optimistic eschatology, most likely a post-millennial eschatology. If you don't know about that, there is a man in our elder development named Jimmy Daling. He's right over there. He loves post-millennial eschatology, and he would love to talk to you about that as well. But this man was a Calvinist. He was post-millennial, and he loved to worship God through song. I think that me and him would have been good buddies if I lived back then or if he lived now. In the early 1700s, Watts said to have this grand design for a reformation of Christian worship. He wanted to see change happen with Christian worship. Much of the Christian church at that time only used psalms. That's what they would sing in their worship gatherings, which Watts would have been all for as he thought that that was the best way, the the, the biblical way of worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. For him, the reform that he wanted to see was being able to sing these psalms not as impending prophecy, meaning that things that would happen in the future. Rather, he wanted to read Christ back into the psalms and sing them as songs about historically fulfilled events. He believed that Christ fulfilled all that the Psalms were speaking of, and therefore Christians should sing them that way. So he started writing paraphrases of the Psalms, and these were collected in a book called Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament. Joy to the world of the paraphrase of Psalm 98, which is what we read this morning, broken up into two poems. The first was called To Our Almighty God. And was based on the first three verses primarily. And the second was called the Messiah's coming in kingdom. Based on the rest of the psalm. Now I see the whole psalm in the hymn Joy to the World. And also see some other passages that are outside of Psalm 98. Making up this paraphrase. So just to make sure that we understand this is a hymn. And it's a paraphrase. It's not God breathed inerrant scripture. But it's a beautiful and God honoring paraphrase for sure. With that background which is cool but. Please don't let that be the most important thing that you take from today. Let's look at the psalm first, so I don't get questions from my fight club asking why I didn't preach the Bible. Then we'll actually look at the hymn. If you didn't already, open up your Bibles to Psalm 98. Really quick, there are a bunch of different types of psalms in the Psalter. One of those types is a hymn, and Psalm 98 is a hymn. You can see it broken up into stanzas. Just like the hymn, Joy to the World, Joy to the World has four stanzas, Psalm 98 has three. So we're going to start with the first stanza, which is verses one through three. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So the psalmist, as I mentioned before, is calling people, specifically the Israelites, to worship God. He references the marvelous things that the Lord has done, chiefly 
the salvation that God himself has brought to his people. Now, this isn't necessarily any specific salvation. It could have been the Exodus story. It could have been any sort of wars that were won by Joshua and the Israelites, any of the times that the judges brought Israel out of foreign oppression, maybe even when God saved his people and brought them out of Babylon so that they could go back and rebuild the temple. There were many times when God delivered his people in the Old Testament, so take your pick. But all of them were pointing to the ultimate salvation, of course, that Jesus would bring to the world. A few other significant things about God from this stanza is it says that he has made known his salvation and his righteousness in the sight of the nations. God doesn't need to keep secret how much he loves and wants to bless his people. He wants to show that off to the rest of the world. We should follow him in that. How do we do that? How do we show off a God who blesses and who loves to the rest of the world? Well, the catechism answer would be by loving him and joyfully obeying his commands, which I say amen to. But from the psalm, we can see that we can also do that through singing his praises. We'll get to more of that later. Another thing we see is that it says that he remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness. Why did God save his people in the Old Testament all those times? Not because they were awesome. We clearly know that they weren't awesome if you read the Old Testament. Rather, because of covenantal love and faithfulness. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 where he says, I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He was sticking to his covenant promise that he made with the Israelites. Why does God save us now? Not because we're awesome. You probably know that. He saves us for the same reason, covenantal faithfulness. Lastly, the psalmist wants us to worship God because God broadcast his love for his people to every square inch of the earth. Again, he is not embarrassed for what he's done for his people. Why should we be? Stanza two is verses four through six. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, and with the lyre and with the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Here we see the praise get louder. The ESV doesn't actually do a very good job of this, but other translations say, shout for joy to the Lord. When's the last time we've shouted for joy to the Lord? This praise we see here gets louder because the call to worship has moved from just calling the Israelites to worship God to calling the whole earth to praise God. That's everyone. Can you imagine that? One of the things that I love about this building is we get to hear the voices of the congregation so well, much better than we did in the theater, right? It's beautiful and it's an amazing thing to be a part of. But think about being able to sing something like all glory be to Christ with billions of people all at the same time. It'd be breathtaking. But it gets even better. Not only are there more people singing, but it gets louder because there's noisy things that are also added. Lyres, trumpets, and horns are added to human voices. I don't think there's anything special about these particular instruments. I'm not even sure what a lyre actually is. <laughs> so any, what's your favorite instrument, right? Add it to these voices that are singing a joyful noise. This stanza is about joyously and noisily praising God, but again, we can't miss the why. The piles of praise that we see here are directed toward 
one being, and that being is the king. It's the Lord. With that, the psalmist reveals two things, two significant things about praise and worship. I know people love praise and worship, right? They love it. Some people love it just because of the experience that they get in it, but we actually have to know why we're praising and worshiping the Lord. Here's what this psalm tells us, is that first, his people should praise him because he's their savior, right? He made his salvation known, so his people praise him for that. And then the whole earth should praise him because he's the king. So his people praise him because he's their salvation, he's their savior, but the whole earth, which includes his people, praise him because he's the king. The last stanza is made up of verses seven through nine. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with this equity. The praise coming from this psalm continues to get louder. Added to the Israelites and to the rest of the world, we now see the entire universe be called to praise the Lord. Not only that, but the call to praise go beyond, goes beyond beings, right? Human and angelic. It includes the whole of creation. Everyone and everything is to praise God. The sea and all that's in it, that's plankton, that's eels, that's shrimp, that's great white sharks, that's the blue whale, everything that you can find in the seas, that's even the salt, will praise the Lord. The psalmist poetically describes rivers and hills being able to do what a person would do and clap their hands and sing for joy. It's a glorious picture of what God deserves. As the first two stanzas included reason for praise, so does this last one. This time it's because God is judge. Meaning that God through Christ is going to judge all evil in the world and make everything right. This will include people who he will judge with fairness. There will be no partiality. No one will be given special treatment. There will be no curve. You are either righteous or you are not. If you are righteous, this judgment will bring vindication. If you are unrighteous, this judgment will bring damnation. So some beautiful truths in this psalm. It was likely sung by God's people to celebrate victories of war. The people would have been singing it as their armies would have been returning from those victories after winning the battles in order to be faithful to give God the glory for those victories. But what do we do with it? Is this just a piece of scripture that we read just to have knowledge of it? And maybe be able to appreciate what God has done in the past for his people? That's not what Watts believed. Here's a quote from him on reading a psalm versus singing one. It says, the design of these two duties is very different. That's reading versus singing. By reading, we learn what God speaks to us in his word. But when we sing, especially unto God, our chief design is, or should be, to speak our own hearts and our words to God. Songs are generally expressions of our own experiences or of his glories. We acquaint him with what sense we have of his greatness and goodness, and that chiefly in those instances which have relation to us, we breathe out our souls towards him and make our addresses of praise and acknowledgement to him. Let me try to translate. He's saying reading a psalm is good. It's a duty that we've been given. 
We can learn about God and to know him more deeply through reading, and that's great. But when we sing a psalm, we are communicating to God that we have sensed him, that we've tasted and seen, that we've tasted and seen his goodness and his greatness and his gloriousness and his steadfast love that endures forever. And because of that, because of us tasting and seeing him, we respond in the only way that is right, which is pouring out our souls towards him with joyous song. It's why he created music. As a Christian, haven't you ever wondered how you express your thanks and praise to God? I don't know about you, but many times in my walk with Christ after receiving a blessing from God is I, I don't really know how to show my thanks to him. Right, there's this block, in, in, this block in my head, block in my heart where I just, how do I express thanks to him, right? Words don't seem to be enough. Tears of joy don't seem to be enough. Yeah, I cry. Justin doesn't think I know how to express emotions, but I'm not completely robot, right? <laughs> but we just don't have enough to express. And probably nothing is enough in comparison to how much thanks and praise God deserves. But church, the Bible gives us the proper response if we want to thank and praise our God. It's music. It's singing. True singing. I'm not talking about what some of our kids at New City Classical Academy do in the morning when we sing a hymn every day where there's joy to the world, the Lord is. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about true singing. I'm talking about praise to God. A joyous song the psalm called us to. Don't believe me? There's at least 185 songs in the Bible. Here's a list of some of them. Exodus 15, the song of Moses after God saved his people from the Exodus. Numbers 21, verse 17 and 18, the, Israel's break, the Israelites break forth into song after finding water in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses and Joshua, Moses teaches the people a song to remember God's blessings. Judges 5, the song of Deborah, a song of praise for God's deliverance. 1 Samuel 18, 7, the song of David's victories. The women of Israel were singing the song of David's military victories upon his return from battle. 2 Chronicles 5, 13, Asaph's song praising God for the temple being completed. The Songs of Solomon. I won't get into why he was overjoyed. The Book of Psalms. Mary's Magnificat. The Bible is full of songs, and these songs were written to express thanks and praise to God from whom all blessings flow. If you love God and you want him to know it, you will sing to him. The more you love God, the more joy you have in God, the louder your songs will be. So are we singing? Are we consistently and faithfully making a joyful noise to the Lord? If not, we're missing out. And more than likely, it's because we haven't found him worthy of our song. What did Watts say? We sing because we have sensed that God is worthy. Have you tasted and seen that he is worthy? Listen, the degree of which we have sensed the worthiness of God is directly proportional to the degree of which we will praise and enjoy him. If you don't see God as worthy, then why would you praise him? If our kids don't, aren't praising and enjoying God, it's because they haven't tasted and seen that he is worthy. Anyone that we know of who is not enjoying and glorifying God 
That's the case because they haven't tasted and seen. So how do we go about this problem? There's a two-part solution for the Christian, at least, that I see and all of us need it to some degree. It takes quitting whatever it is that we are tasting and seeing now as better than Christ and combining that with actually feasting on Christ. So quitting whatever we see now that is better than Christ and then actually feasting on Christ. Both of these are done by faith. By faith, it means that we are to trust God that he is going to use our obedience to change us. The only way that we truly change is by the grace of God, of course, but God gives us means of grace so that by faith we feast on and in and through those means of grace and God uses it to change us. So let's start with that first part. I wanna go at it this way. And when I had just Pastor Justin read this and give me some feedback, he said that he hopes I get some emails. So there, here's my email. When I did that the first time, I put up a fake email, but I figured that would not be <laughs> in alignment with the Christian truth. So, all right, Justin taught on evil in the world last week, right? Talked about some heavy, heavy stuff going on in our culture. He highlighted some examples like the university of presidents, the university presidents who would not condemn outright the Hamas attacks of Israel and wouldn't say outright that they'll discipline any of the students on their campus who promote anti-Semitism. Clearly immoral and promotion of evil. We can talk about abortion. Thank God for Roe versus Wade being overturned, but all that really did is make abortions less convenient for those who would like to kill their babies. In states like Louisiana, who closed down all abortion facilities after Roe versus Wade was overturned, abortions are actually on the rise in that state due to abortion pills and DIY abortions still being illegal, or still being legal. It's horrifying. These are clear, overt examples of evil that we can all hate and condemn. But church, Judgment starts in the house of the Lord, according to scripture. So what about any evil that's happening in us or in our house? Again, we wouldn't want to say that the abortion industry is just wrong. We would want to say that it's evil. We wouldn't want to say racism is just wrong. It's evil. It's evil because evil is the absence of or contrary to true good or I would say the absence of or contrary to the true God. So if there's something in our life where God is absent or that God is opposed to, it's not just wrong, it's evil. So let's do some searching. How about sexual sin? Are we letting pornography hang around our house like it's just something that's just a little wrong? Or are we seeing it clearly as evil and begging God to slit its throat. Who are we sleeping with? And yes, by that I mean having sex with. If we aren't married, then the answer to that should be no one. If it's someone, that's evil. How about covetousness? Are we wanting to taste and see what it's like to have other people's lives, or homes, or bodies? 
or spouses, that's not a little problem. That's evil. Is it wanting to be coveted? What are we posting on social media? Are we going along with a world who wants to be coveted and has no issue with tempting others to covet? Posting pictures that attract followers and likes that are based on how we look in that picture or what we're wearing? Also evil. How about greed? Where's our money going? Are we faithful and cheerful givers? Do we know that the Bible says that if you aren't tithing, which is giving 10% of your gross income back to him, then you're robbing God? Probably don't have to say it, but robbing God is evil. Is it an abdication of responsibility as parents? What harmful environments are we allowing our kids to be in? What helpful environments are we keeping our kids from? Are we disciplining them? Are we letting them run the house? Are we passing on the Christian worldview? Are we letting another worldview infect their brains with social media and Disney, Netflix, video games, friends at school? Parents have been called to raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers specifically are meant to provide for and protect them, which means many things, but at least means providing for them an environment that is full of Christ and protecting them from an environment. Protect them from an environment that is encouraging them to eliminate Christ. Time doesn't allow us to keep going. I maybe have missed some sins there. But you can keep searching on your own. Again, all of us need to do this. All of us need to look and see, am I obeying Christ in all of life? Or is there something that I'm letting creep in that is not of God? But why even talk about this, right? Sin sucks, and it's not fun to talk about, and Christmas is all about joy, so why bring it up today in this Advent series? Church, because if sin, if there wasn't sin, then there would be no Christmas, We don't have everything good about Christmas, everything that we love about Christmas. We don't have it if he who hates sin doesn't come into the world. We should hate it just like him and fight it just like he does. Especially if you aren't able to lift up a joyful noise to the Lord in this season. Right? We're called to this season to lift up a joyful noise. If you are not able to do that, then it may be because you haven't stopped tasting and seeing that the world is better than Christ. In order to see that Christ is actually better than the world, which is true, we need the other part. The other part is feasting on God's means of grace. How can you taste it if you haven't taken it in? Right? Every, I'm, if you didn't know, I'm a chiropractor. I help people with, with try to get healthy. And one of the biggest questions that I always get from people is, how do I get my kids to eat vegetables? Right? Or how do I get my kids to, to eat uh, healthy food? I said, well, have they tasted it yet? Right? How can they know if they like it if they won't put it in their mouth? Same thing with Christ. How do we know that Christ is better than everything else if we're not feasting on him, if we're not tasting him? So what are God's means of grace? Prayer, Bible reading, Bible study, corporate worship, the Lord's Supper, 
community or what the Bible calls koinonia fellowship, which we try to do through missional communities. These are all means that God can and does use to give us a sense of who he is and what he's like. It's how he shows us his worthiness through his means of grace. And remember, music is how we show him that we acknowledge his worthiness. So are we feasting on these means of grace? If not, how can we expect to taste and see that God is worthy and break forth into joyous song and sing praises to him? We can't. But here's the good news. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you have been feasting on the wrong things and not feasting on his means of grace, repent. Confess that. Turn from that path and turn back to Christ and he will welcome you with open arms. It's a glorious truth. And this season is made for this, that sort of thing. The church calendar includes observances like Advent and Christmas to remind us of Christ. The calendar is in place because Christians need it. We all need to be reminded over and over again of who it is that Psalm 98 says is Savior, is King, and is Judge. It's a wondrous love that Christ has for us, that he would welcome us back to him after we've walked away from his ways and turned to our own. It's a wondrous love, and that's a glorious truth. But church, and this is the last significant point before we look at our hymn to close, even though it is true that we can turn from the path of wickedness and turn down the path of righteousness and God will be there waiting for us with open arms, it's not really an invitation. We have to stop seeing it that way. I know that many of us in, as American Christians have been impacted in a huge way by this soft approach to coming to Christ where people are invited to try Jesus out. Give him 30 days to change your life like he's some product on an infomercial. They still have infomercials? I think they still have infomercials. Oh, your, your life is not going the way that you want it? Let me tell you about my Jesus. You know that song? I shouldn't poke fun at it. My daughter loves the song from that, from that lady. But no, church, we're not necessarily invited to do that. We are commanded to worship the Lord. We're commanded to worship God, and by his grace, not blindly, right? It's not like he hasn't given us reason to worship him. He has given us everything we need to look to him and say, yes, you are worthy. Yes, you deserve my allegiance. As we close with our hymn, Watts shows in this paraphrase why he is worthy. Again, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. The Bible gives us everything we need to be able to look to God and say, yes, you are worthy. He shows us how we as Christians on this side of the cross have even more reason than the Israelites did to shout for joy to the Lord. So listen and take this in. Joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord has come. He's coming again, but he's already come and done marvelous things and made his salvation known. He's brought a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. Let earth receive her king. Jesus is not just the king of our hearts. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's not one square inch on this entire earth that he doesn't have rights.
prepare him room. Hearts that have prepared him room will break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Hearts that do not, he will break into pieces. And heaven and nature sing. The world that we see in Psalm 98 includes heaven where the heavenly beings dwell. So even them and every creature of nature are commanded to sing his praises. Again, they are not invited, they are commanded. Joy to the world again. Why this time? Because the Savior reigns. The same Jesus that died and rose is the same Jesus that rules and reigns. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a King. Let men their songs employ. Again, we are to make use of the God-given ability to sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. This shows us that everyone and everything has reason to praise the Lord. We start it, it bounces off the rest of creation, bounces back to us, and continues in this beautiful cycle of praise between the two. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Some churches throughout history have cut this stanza out of their hymnals because they don't believe it's from Psalm 98. Maybe it's not, but it's definitely from the Bible. These churches are not, the churches are forgetting that when Christ came as Savior and King, like the Psalm tells us, he did that as the second Adam. He's called the second Adam because the second Adam had to come to restore what the first Adam had ruined. The first Adam's sin brought more sin and sorrows into this world. The second Adam's defeat of sin through the cross saves us not just from the penalty of sin, which is death, but also the power of sin. Of sin, therefore we can fight our sin and sorrows of this world and not let them grow. No thorns infest the ground. Thorns are a sign of all creation being cursed. Again, as a result of first the first Adam's failure. But thankfully, the second Adam did not just come to save us from our sins. He came to renew the whole creation, which he is in the process of doing right now, and one day will fully see it through. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. In a covenantal relationship, there are always sanctions established, positive and negative. Blessings are positive, curses are negative. Because the first Adam, who was our covenantal head, broke the first covenant, the curse was brought down by God and extended all the way down to the subatomic level. Romans tells us that all of creation is groaning. The good news is that there is a new and better covenant now, and the second Adam, our new covenantal head, keeps that covenant with God, which brings blessings that extend also all the way down to the subatomic level. Every broken relationship is being fixed. Every disease is being healed. Every wrong is being made right. He rules the world with truth and grace. Christ isn't waiting for the day when he can start ruling. What did Matthew tell us? It was a king that was being born. Even the magi, the wise men, knew what he was. Christ came to bring his kingdom to earth. Again, Christ isn't just your king if you want him to be. He's the king of the world, whether you like it or not. But we really should like it because he rules with truth and grace, not deception and tyranny like Satan, the ruler of this world, before Christ crushed his head and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. When we prove something, we test it out. Christ has commissioned his followers, which includes us, to disciple the nations. He's using us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Every nation will come up against Christ's testimony. None will be able to ignore him. They will have to prove and then choose to submit to him or not. The glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love will either compel them to faith and joy or these nations will choose rejection and misery. Family, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, King, 
and judge, then as Watts says, let your songs employ. He's glorious, he's righteous, he's wonderful, he's loving. Be reminded of that this morning and respond accordingly with a joyful noise. If you have not put your faith in Christ, what are you waiting for? He's already your judge. You're part of this universe. He's already your king. You're living on his planet. So call upon him as savior. And if you do that, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. That last phrase is from that same pastor that I said lives out in Idaho that I'm pretty fond of. And he's, when he calls his church up to the Lord's Supper, he typically ends it with come and welcome to Jesus Christ. And he put many of those in a book for a devotional that I try to read every day. And I was reading on December 17th this morning, so I'm just going to read this before we come to the Lord's Supper. One of our greatest privileges in this congregation is the privilege of coming to the Lord's table weekly. When we come to the Lord's table, we are coming to the Lord himself. And why wouldn't we? We are evangelicals. We believe in coming to Jesus. To be invited to share table fellowship with the Lord Jesus is to be invited to be his friend. Why wouldn't we come as often as we worship him? This coming is not merely intellectual. We sit, we sing, we eat and drink. We are members of the same household as Jesus Christ. He calls us friends. This is why we call it communion. We are sharing together. We are partaking together. We come because we have communion with God and because we have communion with God, we have communion with one another. We love God and so it is that we love our neighbor as well. This is a great privilege indeed, especially when we are mindful of our own infirmities. Like that poor woman with, woman with the long hemorrhage in the Gospels, you come here in order to touch Jesus Christ. You have come trembling in your infirmity and are released here as his friend, trembling for joy. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have so much to give you thanks for. And as I said earlier, it's tough as finite and fallen human beings to know exactly how to express that praise and thanks, Lord. But thankfully, you are gracious to us and gave us how to do that, Lord. So you call us to a life that would show that we love you. And we do that through obeying, joyfully obeying your commands, which you've also called us to sing your praises, Lord. So would you have done something in the people that are listening today, Lord? Well, again, would this not have just been a message from me, but would it have been from you? Lord, would you have stirred up their affections for who you are and for what you're like and for what you have already done in bringing Jesus to this world and wrapped him in flesh, Lord, and made him the king right then and then took him through his life, Lord, a life that we could not live, that he lived for us, and then took him to the cross, Lord, a, a death that we deserved, but he took on for us, Lord. But that death wasn't the end of the story, Lord. After three days, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures, Lord, and you use that to bring death to death. Lord, you use that to make everything right, Lord, and he's in the process of doing that right now as the king of the world. So again, we thank you for that and let that truth stir up our affections to praise you even louder than we ever have before, Lord. We thank you for you are, who you are. We thank you for what you've done, and we thank you for what you will continue to do in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.